0: Hello and welcome to another weekly podcast from Hilltop United Methodist Church in Mankato, Minnesota. If you're in the Mankato area, join us every Sunday morning at 10.15 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to learn more, visit us at MankatoHilltop.org. Best of all... Well, as we continue on in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week for our scripture reading, and that starts right with verse 7 of Matthew chapter 7. So we'll pick up right there, starting in verse 7. This is Jesus speaking to the gathered body on the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who searches, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if a child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And everything, do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Holy Scripture. Before I jump into the message today, just want to take a couple of moments to say, uh, number one, thanks for the time away. I've been gone for a couple of weeks. Um, I actually used all my vacation this past year. I said, okay. yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's been a couple of years since I've done that Because, you know, we had this thing called the pandemic And we just like working really hard through it all And stuff like that So um, I didn't go anywhere Other than to the cabin and Valley Fair And my mom and dad's house And hanging out with family and stuff like that So uh, I have no fun stories to tell you Other than I caught a lot of walleyes And had some But you knew that already, right? <laughs> if you know me um, But we had, we had some fun And hey, isn't Joanne Taylor wonderful? isn't she just a blessing? So yeah, she, yeah. thank you to Joanne. She was filling in while I was gone. Um, I'm actually going to be on a Holy Land trip later this year, and I'm going to be taking a Holy Land trip, and she's going to come fill in again. So you're going to really enjoy it when she comes in and fills in. By the way, if you missed Wednesday night... You missed the getting sauced at Church Hilltop Barbecue. Let me show you some pictures here. We had uh, lots of really delicious food. That we're here's you know we had over a hundred some people at the barbecue in our fellowship hall. So if you were here, you know what I'm talking about. You know plates piled high with ribs and brisket and I know that's not everybody's thing. So we even had like vegan soul food bowl and some other um, delicious food. And you know, here's a picture of some of the girls enjoying their time there. Here, everyone who participated in the contest got one of these shirts. That's what the back looks like. Here's what the front looks like. Getting sauced at church. We did have a winner, and I know you've been anxiously waiting to hear who that winner was. If you missed on Wednesday, um, third place went to Nate Wolbig, Second place went to Bob, and first place went to our own very own office admin, Michelle. She got first place. So congratulations, Michelle. <laughs> she made a smoked Jamaican jerk chicken that was really good and nice and spicy. But it was the, the hands-down winner. So here's a picture of everyone who, well, almost everyone who competed. Um, we missed a couple people in this picture because Jocelyn wasn't able to make it. But Jocelyn and Tammy also uh, submitted a brisket. So anyways, I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But, so thanks, everyone. All right, I'm fascinated with science. You know this about me. This is one of the things I love to study. And actually, there was a big scientific debate that has been going on for 25 years between neuroscientists and philosophers. And it was all about the study of human consciousness. Now, we could spend a lot of time just talking about that. But back in 1998, so for 25 years, so 1998... A neuroscientist, Chris Koch, bet a philosopher, David Chalmers, that the mechanisms by which the brain's neurons produce consciousness would be discovered by June 23, 2023. That was just recently. And at the annual meeting for the scientific study of consciousness, which was just in New York City uh, about a week ago, they declared that the philosopher was the winner of that bet. That scientists have still not figured out how human consciousness works. What is human consciousness? If I say that, what do you think of? What comes to mind? It's kind of hard to nail it down. But consciousness is everything that a person experiences. What they taste, what they hear, what they feel, and many more things. And it's oftentimes the thing that gives meaning to our life. We like to say, humans have consciousness in a way that fish don't have consciousness. Or humans have consciousness, are sentient, in a way that the ash tree is not sentient. So despite a very vast effort by scientists who have dug into the uh, neuroscientific research of this, guess what? they really still don't quite understand how our brains work. So the philosopher was proclaimed the winner of this scientific debate. So there's, you know, the reason I'm starting with that is because even though we know a lot about this world, we know tons of things about this world, we know more things now than we did five years ago and ten years ago, There are so many things in front of us that we still don't know. In fact, um, I had a neuroscientist in one of my previous congregations, and he had his Ph.D. in neuroscience, and he said, well, if I were to put it as a percentage, I would say we know about 0.1%. About 0.1%. So even though we know a lot of things about this world, there's so much in front of us. And there's just everyday things that are going to change us that we don't know the... We, we have no idea. What's artificial intelligence going to do to our world? Everybody's talking about it. And nobody knows what's going to happen. What's going to happen? What's going to happen when the cars start driving themselves? They're already doing that. Would you get in a car that was driving itself? <laughs> Some people are shaking their head being like, no, no, no. Absolutely not. There might come a day when you won't be able to get insured to drive. It'd be cheaper to have the robots drive. I mean, so there's a, so much in front of us that the world is changing quickly and rapidly. And right now it feels like things are stretching and pulling on us, doesn't it? It feels like the world is changing. I don't know if I like this. This isn't the way that I grew up. This isn't things that I know. And, and, it, and it can make us feel like, Ugh, uh, what's going on? So even though we know a lot more than we did, even 25 years ago, like these neuroscientists and philosophers were betting 25 years ago in 1998, the frontier in front of us in science and in our world is vast and continues to grow exponentially. Now, we know that simply asking for something from God doesn't work in a literal sense. We can't just say, hey, God, give me something, and it appears. It doesn't work like that. You know that. That's not what Jesus is saying in the ask, seek, and knock. So he must be saying something different, right? Ask, seek, and knock. One of the things that he, the reason he starts with this passage right here, and we need to connect it to last week, is that last week it talked about do not judge. Don't go for the speck in your neighbor's eye when you have a log in your own. And so the first question, the people listening to that sermon probably would have said, okay, I, I know what to not do, so what can I do now? What are the things you can do? And that's when I think Jesus was saying, well, ask, seek, and knock. This is a way of saying, like, here's what you're supposed to do. Here's how you're supposed to live this life now. Don't judge, but now do these three things. So what are those three things? ask, seek, and knock. There's lots of times throughout the Bible where Jesus mentions how we need to seek and we will find, or or where Scripture talks about seek the Lord and you will find him. In Psalm 27, 8, Seek my face, my heart says to you. Your face, Lord, do I seek. In Psalm 34, Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm 105, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually. Psalm 119, Bless are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Do you notice how the Psalms are just filled with this notion of seeking the Lord and seeking him out? And I think Jesus picks up on that and says, you know this, you know this from the Psalms, you know this from the Old Testament, this is the posture we have as Christian people. The activity we do is we seek. How do we do that? How do we seek the Lord? What does that look like? I think seeking the Lord is in prayer. Well, that's where the asking comes in. We seek the Lord when we live in relationship with the Lord. So seeking the Lord is living in relationship with the Lord. How do we live in relationship with God? We live in relationship with God by praying. How do we pray? We typically ask for things. So seeking... And asking now become this prayerful posture that Jesus is trying to say. Contrasting against judgment. You know those who judge others. We're not going to do it. We don't work that way. Instead, we do it this way. We have a prayerful posture toward others. We seek Jesus. We seek God in every situation. And then we ask him. But it's not just an ask for what I want, is it? It's not just, hey, God, I would really like a new car now. Can you make that happen? That posture is centered on us, isn't it? Me. But if I turn to God and I said, I'm really struggling and I need peace in my heart. Now that's something God can take care of. That's a posture of seeking what God can do in my life. What God's actions will do in my heart. Seeking God's kingdom means putting God's plan before our own. Seeking God's righteousness, setting that priority on what God wants in this world. Our own holiness, but the holiness of the world and the justice to come. Then we get to this knock. Knock and the door will be open to you. Isn't that kind of an interesting statement? Does that work for like teenagers knock and they just automatically open their door right no it doesn't work that way but here I think again is another like action verb another action for seek ask knock oftentimes there are things if there's something in our life and and we're desiring it it might seem like it might be closed off to us and Jesus uses that metaphor of like a door, like behind a door. It's, it's, it's in that room. I can't see it, but I'm desiring it. And so what would I do? I would knock on that door and let that door open. Notice how the thing of God resides within God, behind a door, or closed from our perception or not able to see. Our action is knocking. The door opens. God is right there willing to, to provide it even if it's hidden from up, even if we can't see it right now, to me, the the easiest metaphor for this is peace in our world. What does peace look like? I I, I know what it is. I know peace exists within God and, and, and I want peace in this world, but like I need to take action steps to make that happen. So as I do that, it's residing with God. If I knock, the door is open. Now maybe you've had an image of God where God's like barring the door I don't think it works like that. I don't think it works like that at all. Like there's something that you desire from God, from God, something you desire from God. All you gotta do is ask, all you gotta do is seek and knock. The door opens automatically. The grace is there, the grace is for you. But I know there are other places where people have kind of said, like, no, we 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 shut out, we we don't let God doesn't let that in. I don't see how that works with this passage, what, what Jesus is saying. Asking, seeking, and knocking. When we ask God, when we seek Him out, when we knock on the door, it is there. The grace is there for us. It's God's grace. It's not our wants. It's not our desires. It's not our every need. But everything that does within exist within God's realm and sphere is right there. Asking is verbal. We do that in prayer. We verbalize everything, our needs, our desires, our our petitions, and things like that. And then seeking is kind of like using our mind. We're seeking God. We don't often often say like we're seeking something else, but in our mind, we think it. We ask by asking with our mouth. We think and seek and try to understand God in our hearts and in our minds. And then knocking, that's the actual action of it. That putting this into action, making this action happen. Like taking a step in my faithfulness, I'm going to knock. It involves the physical movement. Our Christian action then goes into movement. Now this is a spiritual way of looking at what Jesus is talking about. How do we scientifically prove how to shape our hearts and minds? I don't think we can. We might want to, but it's kind of like consciousness. We don't quite understand it, but we know it's there. We know it's a real life experience. How do we know how someone's heart is following Jesus Christ? We can't prove it. I can't prove it. You can't prove it. We can't prove that, but we know it's real and we experience it through asking or seeking or knocking, through the, through the prayerful posture of our relationship with Christ or through our mind and heart and how that is shaped in our thinking and our thoughts or in our actual Christian action, like going out and doing something on behalf of Jesus Christ in this world. So it's not like one or the other, but to me, this is just as important as scientific discovery. So when there's a new scientific discovery, I get excited. I love watching the images from the James Webb Space Telescope. But when there's a spiritual breakthrough in someone's heart, something happens, God transforms them in a way, and maybe I can't know their heart, but I see it in their Christian action, or maybe I don't necessarily know what's happening, but the posture of who they are changes. It becomes more like God. That, to me, is almost more important than all of this scientific discovery that's on the frontier in our world. So just as Jesus um, talked earlier in the Sermon on the Mount about loving your enemies and do not judge, now he puts in a verse at the very end. The golden rule. You've heard this before. I've seen it on posters, haven't you? Where it shows this golden rule, and it shows every different faith. In Islam, it's this. In Judaism, it's this. In Hinduism, it's this. In Christianity, it's Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, where Jesus says, uh, what does he say? <laughs> where he says, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. I don't know if you've seen those before, but Jesus had just got done earlier in the sermon taking that golden rule and turning the screws up because it's not just do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's also loving your enemies. Justin preached about that. That's a lot more difficult than just I'm not going to bonk you on the head and you're not going to bonk me on the head. It's no, you bonk me on the head and I still love you. Ooh, that one's hard. That's a lot harder, isn't it? And it's not um, do unto others as I would have them do unto you. But boy, I'm going to think in my mind just how wrong you are. I'm the right one. You're the wrong one. I'm not going to do anything about that. That, see, the golden rule, I feel like pretty low-level ethical requirement. Pretty low-level ethical requirement. But here Jesus says, now, all the laws and the, all the law and the prophets hang on this. And the reason we know there's more to it is because of what he said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. So it's not just this one verse pulling out of context, uh, taken out of context and said, see, Christianity, do unto others, I have them do unto you. That's all it is. Because that would ignore all of what he said previous to that point about loving your enemies not going for the speck in your brother's eye, but taking care of the log in your own. After he's said all of that kind of stuff, then he can say, and, by the way, just so you know, this is all the law and the prophets sum up on this. Disciples cannot excuse themselves from what they condemn in others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a theologian, um, who I know Joanne mentioned him, and I've mentioned him during this sermon series, one of his best books. He he put it like this. There's one judgment, one law, and one grace. There's one judgment, one law, and one grace. He was probably trying to call out the German state of his time. It was a slogan that the Nazis used that was very similar. What did the Nazis use? They said this. One people, one Volk, one nation, one Reich, and one leader, one Fuhrer. That was a slogan of the Nazi regime. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer wanted to say, you know, we're going to change that because as Christians we look that differently. But let's take that slogan again and rework it as a Christian way of looking at it. What is it? There's one judgment, one law, and one grace. Grace. See, when we encounter other people, if we are a disciple of Jesus Christ, we can only see others as those people whose sins have been forgiven. Just like for us, our sins have been forgiven. When we live by love, then we start to see people like that. We start to say, you know that person over there? God loves them and their sins are forgiven. Can you imagine that? And that person I disagree with over here, whoever they are, their sins are forgiven. And God loves them. Loves them so much, he went to the cross to die for them. So when we live by that love, and we can see that love in others, that changes it. So asking, seeking, knocking, those are three ways of getting at that. And some of them you can't hold in your hand. But they are just as real. Just as real as any scientific discovery. Thanks for listening to another podcast from Hilltop United Methodist Church in Mankato, Minnesota. Don't forget to visit us online at MankatoHilltop.org.